Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. You're listening to Mr. Apex Podcast. It's a bonus episode to whet your appetite for the Bahrain Grand Prix. I'm Spanners, your host. I don't know things. Not really, but I like to find people who do know things. And that's why I'm joined by a man who has been an F1 strategist for Mercedes, the guys at the top there, and also for Haas. So he has a, a full spectrum of the F1 grid. And he's currently lurking in Bahrain for reasons unknown. It's Mike Caulfield. Hello, Mike. Uh, nice to meet you. And uh, and are we allowed to ask why you're there? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm just providing a bit of support out for for a number of teams, a bit of consultancy. So it's, oh, you know, nice. I'll, I'll keep it at that. I'll, I'll keep it a bit more secretive in that sense. Keep it nice and vague. I like that. It is an absolute pleasure and an honour to talk to you because you have been in the belly of of the beast, right on that pit wall where the action's happening. Can I try and frame where you were in the hierarchy of, say, Haas F1? There's there's Gene Haas, Gunter Steiner, the guy that goes box, 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 and then the strategist? Uh, yeah, I'd say that. I mean, you, you kind of... The strategist is... It's, it's a weird role, and this is the same for for any team, that you, because you're not associated specifically with a car, you, you kind of... You're a floater. You, you try and work... You work with both cars equally. So really directly, you work for mainly the chief race engineer. So you're technically the same level as a race engineer, in a sense, but everyone's different, isn't it? Race engineers have a lot of importance. Um, Strategists have a lot of importance. It it very much depends. I mean, you'll have some teams where the strategist reports directly to the team principal, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I wasn't quite at that that stage. I I took my... um, Orders. Directions. Orders. That's the correct word. Yeah. Orders from um the from the chief race engineer or director of engineering. Okay, so I wasn't thinking about the strategist being basically an overall strategist. So there there will be situations where you do the maths and the most points means sacrificing a driver's race. 
I, don't, I bet you're not always popular. No, I mean, definitely not. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you always try to, you, you always obviously try to get the best result for the team. That's ultimately mm. your job. And even if you have a team which is maybe five or six people and you start designating one of the just strategy engineers to each car, you still have to have some rules of engagement of such to kind of favour the ultimate gain is the most points for the team and you have to favour the lead car. Um, so obviously in terms of strategic preference. So even if you've that second car and you're wanting to do something, if it potentially affects your first car, you can't do it. So in that situation, you, you sometimes lose out. And obviously drivers don't see this. The drivers want to do the best result for them. I mean, they want to do the best result for the team, but ultimately their main thing is to beat their teammate. And you almost put a block in that in some, in some aspects. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had a couple of um, slight, not, not disagreements, but slight unhappiness with drivers there, but they understand it in the end. They're, 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 they're like anyone. They, they, they're upset at the time, but they understand the general thing. And sometimes they have to maybe have a bit of a dressing down from, from the man above. Um, and just, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think which driver pairings you must have uh, must have had with you. Rosberg, Hamilton. I'm assuming that I bet that got frosty quickly. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I was like, so when I was at Mercedes, I was obviously um, a little bit lower down the the rung. So I was uh, just a, uh, I wasn't in charge of the full oh so the full, you got to watch it without the responsibility that's that's well, good no there was still there's still the responsibility there but um it's not the initial heat so um <laughs> so there was a little bit of it, but it was still difficult because yeah you were still having to try and juggle it and you were still making the decision around it and i mean it's sometimes harder especially that last season in 2016 they were racing each other they yeah. weren't racing anyone else but and that makes it even difficult because sometimes if there is someone else in between, you justify it. You can justify decisions because you can say if you lose out, you're losing out to him, but you're beating him. Um, whereas in that 2016, it was a direct fight between the two of them. So it was, um, yeah, it was it was definitely, uh, I mean, I think anyone you speak to over that, it was, it was not a pleasant season in a, in a lot of sense. <laughs> well, moving on to probably a slightly nicer atmosphere. It does seem like maybe Haas for you, uh, a smaller shop. Um, so you get to be a little bit further up the chain. And and two yep. of my favourite drivers, actually, I guess you'd have started with, with Grosjean and Magnussen, who's yep. who's coming back. They both seem like a genuine talent and and pleasant folk as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was very different. I mean, like you said, like, I made that step up to, to Haas. And that's like, so I went from just, yeah, your race strategy engineer to the head of strategy. To, oh, to nice. Yeah. So, so you go after that, and it was a kind of first first time dealing with it. But it was like you say, it was a small team. Um, at that point, they're in the midfield, um, and it was good. It was a it was a good a good challenge. It was a, there was a lot of things which the team had to do. There's a lot of good people there. You just unfortunately don't have the resource of the additional 400, 500 people that other teams do. So. Yeah. You're just trying to do your much and there's only so much you can do but yeah in terms of the drivers but i mean touching on kev coming back is yeah i, I got on really well with with kev i thought he was a he was a fantastic guy um yeah and it, it's it's great to see him back it was mm. it was always it was a big disappointment when when he left i mean people kind of think oh it's what well, I, I saw comments last week when so i was like, oh there's no chance for you he's still only 29 years old yeah. he's not He's not an old driver either. He's still no. got a lot to show, so he's good. And then, yeah, Roman as well. I mean, 
he's obviously a bit more experienced of the two. And I mean, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's 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 a very different personality to, to Kevin, but at the same time, he's a very talented driver. I mean, on his day, he is very, very quick and he and he was good and he just he just needed to be managed correctly and stuff. And but again, really decent bloke. I mean, and I actually caught up with him a couple of weeks ago. I was in um, for IndyCar and St. Pete, so I managed to catch up with him there. And he's he generally seems very happy there. He's he's um I think it's really certain in that and he's um, oh, that's good. yeah, and and I, I think I'll be surprised if he doesn't get some wins this year in the in IndyCar and um and well if it, at least that and if not challenging for the championship in that because I think he's got the talent. Oh, it's nice. It's nice to have that confirmed because that was nice. One of the nicest sort of driver pairings, and also probably one one of the the, the genuine talented driver pairings as well. Yeah. And then to be replaced with two new rookies, it felt a little bit jarring. And then obviously they've taken steps down from there. From there, I'm sure that's a coincidence. I'm not looking for gossip from you, Mike. I really want to talk tactics and strategy. Now you're talking about the challenge of a, a lower team and the, the the less the less resources. So obviously you're on the you on the pit wall. During yes. the race, you're on the pit wall, you've got your compass and you've got your slide rule. Um, but I guess at Mercedes, do they have more information to draw upon than a team like Haas? Um, information, a little bit. But, like, I mean, it's more resource. So, I mean, it's more the amount of people you've got doing, plugging the numbers, checking over things, uh-huh. looking at, like, covering all 20 cars, covering radio, covering video, that aspect of it. In terms of data, everyone gets the same lap times. Everyone generally gets the access to the GPS data. Um, so you, get, you can cover that off. And just obviously with Haas, it was a case of quite a fresh team when I got there. So it was a case of building up my analysis tools, um, creating what I wanted to do and trying to get – you had to be efficient, basically, though. So you couldn't just cover all aspects of it. So you thought, right, what's the important things? What do we need to cover when I first came, it was literally just me in the in the group compared to, yeah, like you say, your Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull who might have four or five people in their strategy groups. Right. So, um, so they didn't give you a budget and say, right, Mike, go and find, go on LinkedIn and find us eight fantastic strategists. Yeah, not us. No, no. no. <laughs> the okay. budget was for one person. Not <laughs> so you're, you're, sat there, you're sat there on your own and, and sometimes you look at races and you go, well, that's a simple straightforward one stop and recently actually there's been more one stops than in the the period before it so it can feel like that's straightforward for a strategist but there's always like something that will come up that will change obviously the competition safety cars have gotten a little bit more popular competition red flags uh, how much flexibility in a, in a standard one stop do you have to do things because sometimes it looks like it's set in stone um so this is it's very variant so i mean through, again, and it differs throughout the field. So I'll go for it. Like you got your Mercedes or Red Bull, say for in a, in a one stop, and they have some flexibility because they are that fast that they're able to create this gap to the cars ahead. So they can they can do this one stop and they can make this first pit stop, drop into free air, and they literally pit from first and go into third maybe or fourth and behind the teammate and the person they're competing because they've built this gap to the the midfield cars. And therefore, later on in the race, if they're, if they're, say, for example, second, they can convert to a two-stop to try and challenge it. Worst, com- worst comes off, if it doesn't work, they still finish second. If it mm. does work, they overtake and finish first. It's great. It's, it's, I remember being experienced all levels of it, so being at the top, being in the yeah. midfield and being at the bottom. The top is the easiest place to do strategy. I mean, 
there's obviously there's a lot more to lose in it. Yeah. So if you make a call, you're high profile, you lose a lot of points, you lose the race win, everyone focuses on it. But in terms of making calls, you just have a generally that bit more freedom and flexibility and and time to do it. So like with um, ours, it's sort of the circumstance decides it for you if you're at the back of the midfield, say? Sometimes. So mm. yeah, I was going to answer that. So your midfield, obviously, if you're competing with three or four different teams, you don't have these kind of gaps to drop into. You have to more be a bit more reactive, looking at the teams around you, trying to judge your pace, trying to judge your tyre degradation. And this is where yeah, like your flexibility comes in. But you go into a race trying to best plan it as much as you can. And you also then the next stage of it is, right, what are the likely scenarios that are going to happen in this race? And you you, you rank them. Because obviously there could be millions of permutations of what happens. You, you don't never know when exactly there's a safety car going to be. You don't know the exact pace everyone's going to be. You have a good idea and you have a good model of it, but you can never be spot on at any point of of what's mm. going to happen in, in this race. So you just need to kind of focus and get these likelihoods of which strategy is the is the best one or most likely what's the likelihood of this happening if this happens is it what's this car going to likely do etc yeah basically yeah it's it's fully about that and then every lap of the race that goes on you monitor the situation and go right what's what how how is it enveloping it's like have they got a gap to drop into am i a threat from an undercut this lap um I've got three cars behind me and I'm held up by the car in front, right? What's best to do in this situation? And each lap, you, you just review it. And that's why the midfields, there's just so much more going on. So yeah. you, you just have to kind of try and figure out what's likely to happen. And like you say, like it's chess, mm. it's trying to make that move before someone else does and and put you into that situation. Ooh, ooh, I've got a question. I've got a question. How much can the drivers influence you? Because a lot of the time they're stuck behind someone at a track they can't overtake and they're like, they're two laps into a stint and they're like, get me, get me out of this guy, you know, or they want, they want new fresh boots. And you're like, if you pit now, we literally can't do anything, mate. Yeah, basically. I mean, so it's, it's the, the thing we like, we have our strategy meetings. I used to have these strategy meetings, but every team has these strategy meetings on a Sunday morning. and if you're doing your job well as a strategist, you will have painted the picture to the driver of what needs to be required, mm. what needs to happen, what lap you kind of need to get to, what the window is. So if they're coming on shouting something which you haven't discussed or you, you, you've you already explained to them, but no, this isn't the case, you, you just got to ignore it. Sometimes there is situations where they'll something happen and they're explaining that the tyres are struggling a lot more than you were expecting or foreseeing. But then you try and tighten with the data and you go, do I see this? And then again, it's that, right, okay, I go on to my plan B on this one. How does that look going on to it? No, it still doesn't look any better than just trying to play this out. And sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. Like you can try and hold on to something and it, it'll be a scenario where, no, you, you just fall off. And then and then that's when you hear the driver comes on going, I, t- look, I told you we should have done this. And you just go, yes, fantastic. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But look, um... I'm the one with the slide rule, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, speaking of like rolling the dice and, and having that kind of strategy where, you know, what I call like the Jensen Button strategy. He got a reputation in changeable conditions because he'd just go, oh, I'll just do a different whatever. If it doesn't work, no one will remember. If it works, I'm a genius. I wonder if you've got more freedom to do that in in the midfield. I I think Mercedes seemed to go through a period, uh, like 2020, 2019, 2018, where 
the like you're saying the pressure to make decisions is is much higher even though you've got more flexibility they seem to be very reactive like they never rolled the dice and it was almost like they were trapped by their own positions and success yeah that's that's i mean 100 so i mean you, you talked about jensen and, and kevin actually is another one who's exactly like this he's very willing to let's give it a pun do something um which is it'll take those dries a lap a lap earlier than everyone else even <laughs> even if it's you're looking and going really but he's very much of that opinion he'd if he's running say p13 p14 he'd much rather take a gamble and it come off and finish p7 p8 p6 something like that mm. and if it doesn't come off finish p20 then finish p13 like it, it, when you're in those lower midfield towards the back you need to do something that little bit different yeah. to, to get up the field if you do the same as everyone else you're, you're just going to finish where you are so you need to do it so and it that ties in with the mercedes one where that risk the risk reward is just is just too much for for them to to take that gamble and it's the same so like if the p1 you won't take that risk whereas someone in p2 goes why not? Well, I, I can take a risk because mm. worst comes to worst, I like I'll finish P two, and like, but if it comes off, I will beat this car in P one. And so, so I can, I can very much understand why they they take that that approach. And and yeah, it, it makes yeah. perfect sense from a strategic point it's of view. Just, from the sofa, it can sometimes look a little bit uh, negative and a little bit like yeah, it can feel like a do nothing approach, but it's not. It's not. No, it's it's very calculated. I mean it touch on the on the race we don't talk about at the end of last year and say like, why didn't he pit another safety car well because he would have put himself in p2 yeah. on a race which was in if you're looking at percentages was 98 percent likely to finish under the safety car so everyone would have screamed why have they chucked away the race win and he's finished p2 in the championship etc etc we all know what happened and yeah, but I'm not allowed to talk about it anymore, Mike, or the YouTube comments go off at me. But yeah, yeah let, let's get away from Abu Dhabi 21. I can't, I'm starting to think they're not going to avoid lap 58, you know, Mike? That's what I'm starting <laughs> to think. So this season, you're going to be uh, consulting, say no more, nudging a wink, um, and and watching it, you know, like like we are. Um, and you listened, I know you listened to the odd podcast on occasion. Uh, what, what do you think, you know, idiots like me who and Matt, who try to get down to the heart of the strategy, do you know, firstly, like, how often do you, you just bang your head against the desk going, you you morons? Uh, but like, what is it that we're kind of missing that would enable us to be better strategy analysts? It's like, right, for a start, I like, I, n- I, never, I, n- I never say that about you guys. So <laughs> it's, it's, well, no, just in general. It's like, F1's people, sake, though, idiots. Yeah. But, but people try and like, and I mean, strategy we have a term as like an F1 strategist and so we'll go, it's like, you see Twitter comments about it. You try and avoid it. Like I saw them <laughs> plenty of times about, well, not about me personally, because they maybe didn't see it, but like about the past strategists or about the Mercedes strategist, yeah. etc. Are you not tempted? I bet you've got a sock account. I bet you've got a sock account, like a, a Kike Moorfield. And... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we refer to these basically as Monday morning strategists. Yes. Um, yes uh, so like they kind of jump on hindsight's a wonderful thing, but clearly she could have done this, et cetera, et cetera. And, but it's understandable why people do this. And it's it's because, fan crack, isn't it? You know. Well, yeah. yeah, but, and also during the race, they don't have the information which, which we do. So like we have literally 
everything. So we have sector times, we have GPS, we have mini sectors, we have like lots of visualizations where you see in the pace of a car, how it projects it for like three, four laps time, tire degradation, everything coming in like this. So you, you can map it out of how it's going to go. And while trying to give it to the general public is maybe giving all this information would just be too much because again, not trying to this this because I don't want to discredit strategies, but like I've been I've been doing it one way or another for close to 16 years. And it takes you a good four, five, six years to kind of at least get the understanding of the situational awareness of, of a race strategy. And, and it all happens so fast as well when you need to make yeah. that call. Well, then that's it. And it's like what we talked about earlier. It's all about this kind of chess game. So you're trying to pick up things which haven't happened and you're trying to predict what's going to happen. And you're trying to like, form that picture in your mind you're trying to think four five six moves ahead to see where at what point you have to react and do it and and this is where the awareness and this is what makes you you good strategists and you you want guys who are sat in the pit wall who have been they won't have just turned up at university and rocked up one day and sat in the pit wall and gone all right i've nailed it i mean like i said i've been doing 16 years and even last year when i was doing it i, I was still you're still sitting there going, oh, I made a mistake there. And, like, and, and you do because yeah. it's just, it's, it's every, you've got nine other people up against you trying to outfox you to an extent. If uh, my little tree face, my little 11 year old, he, he watches this interview and goes, oh, I want to be just like Mike. What, what, what does he have to do? What path do you go down to be an F1 strategist? General engineering first? Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I did. I mean, I did, um, yeah, just your yeah, normal math, physics, um, good at numbers. Like in terms of personal skills, which obviously you you can't learn. Well, you can't learn. That's, that's uh, but like just having a logical mind, obviously, is 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 that kind of any aspect. So you're doing your things like you're playing chess, playing doing your Sudoku's, all that kind of stuff. All that kind of focuses your mind in that kind of of behavioural stuff. Um, then yeah, the next bit of it and of a strategist yeah you go into university i did aero engineering you can do mechanical engineering auto engineering and anything those long lines but getting into it is like i mean like f1 yeah like anything is it's just getting your foot in the door and just being as you're trying to get in as a junior or a graduate strategist and then you and then that's where the fun learns and that's when you realize i've learned nothing in these past four years at university now the, this is where the learning curve happens where you, you you see it all and that learning curve when you first come in is steep so but, lots of making cup of tea to start with and sweeping up the hangar uh, yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> going outside to get wind samples and out in a plastic bag yeah yeah <laughs> all that kind of stuff um no yeah but it's it's just getting your head involved and just getting your yeah just a w- involvement really and just understanding the bits and pieces and then the next bit about being a strategist is it's that you need to have good personal skills as well. And and some people don't and some people do, but you obviously have to try and sell your strategy to a race driver or your chief race engineer or your race engineer, for example. You've got a you can have all the points, but if you're not convincing or like if you sound less than convincing when yeah. you do it, they'll have a doubt in your mind. And then that's when you get the feedback on the radio because you you haven't you haven't sold like the, the the strategy well enough. You haven't given the enough information. So again, it all comes with experience, and it all comes with um, of how how you, how you learn it. But yeah, it's. Yeah. Let, let me let me be nosy, and and I'm I'm not trying to be all gossipy, Mike. So you don't have to name names here. But 
does your strategy change a lot depending on which driver is in the car or are the drivers ballast? Um, no, I mean, I, I've always tried to be, when I've done that, I've always tried to be fair. Yeah, so I was like, thinking more of their skill sets. Like, you know, if you've got a Perez who's a tyre whisperer, might you change your tactics? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely aspects where your Perez is like, you you know, he, he can do some things that other, others can't. And then you will take that into account. You will potentially look at it. I mean, I won't say unfortunately, but the, the guys I, I've, I've kind of done worked with in the past have, have never really pushed it into that kind of... Right. They've never been these outstanding tire managements to uh, man- managers to 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 be fair. So I've never really had that kind of that skill set to work with. But because they have a few and far between, I think Prez is one of them. Obviously, he's very good with tire management. Gasly's another one. He's um, really uh, yeah. So hmm. I guess I mean you always find that Gasly, well, front tire management. So if you ever get any races which are front graining, Gasly is a very good driver to drive through it. Ah, that's interesting so so but he's he's not as kind to the to the rears potentially not okay i think yeah yeah yeah, i think he i think he can lean he he can lean on the fronts and not damage them a bit more than yeah the the rears yeah but yeah those front ones so your races like your monaco and stuff that gas is and abu dhabi gas he's a very strong driver okay and could that be why i mean hamilton seems to go missing at monaco in that example that you gave he seems to never quite spark there yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. It could just be psychological over Lewis. I mean, Lewis, again, he's, he's a very good, he's, I mean, you know, very good driver. That's what it's quite good, isn't he? He's all right, yeah. He's quite good. He's, yeah. he's all right. He's, yeah, he's, um, I mean, and you don't get to where he is without being able to manage the tyres and manage it relative to, to each other. So I think it'd be harsh to say that he, he struggles on Monaco because of that. I think he... Um, I don't know. People just have favourite tracks, don't they? I suppose. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Sometimes it's just it, they are unusual, and you, and you get people who who can just turn it on at your places like Monaco, where it's obviously millimeters becomes between your pole position and not having a suspension left on your car. So. Ah, you you know karting, Mike. You always get a local track bandit, don't you? Yeah. That's yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, happens yeah. there. So as viewers, me and Matt have uh, since the F one live timing, I think, is improved, and watching sector times during the race. I mean, we've that's just invigorated our viewing of Formula One because even when it seems like nothing's happening, you can look at lap times and you can kind of spot when they're saving or when they're pushing, but that push starts to bleed away because they've used the new tyre. So at that level, I mean, even me and Matt can just about keep track of that. Is, is there anything else that we could see if the FIA chose to show it to us that could make us better, what do we call it, Monday morning strategists? Monday morning strategists, yeah. 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 What would make us better? Well, you wouldn't be a Monday morning strategist if you had this information live. You'd, you'd, you'd oh, yeah, be able true. To <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the one thing which I think is missing most is is just this kind of it's the interactions around pit stops. So it's just seeing. See, they put the track map on occasionally, and then the track map disappears off, and you're kind of thinking, "Hang on a minute, I want to see where he's dropping out. I want to see what the group of cars is around there." Like it's just getting that idea about when cars can pit. So you may be getting an idea of putting a visual of a pit window on, on, on the, on the screen. So you see where the cars are. So they kind of line up and you can see if he pits out now, he's going to come out just behind this group of six cars. So yeah. it gives an information. Yes. That would be good to see, wouldn't it? At this yeah. Point. And, um, or vice versa, the car pits and then you see him 
coming into the pit window so you can see maybe when someone's going to react or or put it on a track map. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of how you kind of you, you focus it on the screen, but there is definitely ways of trying to show that interaction of of who has pitted, where they lining up, what the gaps are, of like other than what's been shown on the TV at that point. Um, and actually, sometimes it's just even basic things like the F1 graphics on the side of the screen. I mean, they, they sometimes change it to just like highlighting where they kind of, what the pit window is when mm. you highlight on a certain car. So they'll show gaps between certain cars, but you don't know, like you'll get the crofty occasionally saying, oh yeah, it's a 20 second pit stop loss around here. And you kind of like, okay, but this is a cumulative time. So I'm having to do all these calculations in my head going, okay, right. So that, that works out in that point there. That's- Maths on the spot. Yeah, I'm out. I don't want to be an F1 strategist, Mike. I don't want to do it. Um, so, from a, a, after the race, obviously, if the driver has has gone to glory, if a, a midfield team he's rolled the dice and he's he's got a, he's got a sixth place, which for me sixth place still feels special because I'm old enough to remember when it's only six points. Yeah, even in betting odds, they still give top six. Um, but the driver will take the credit for that, and if it goes wrong, I'm sure you get the blame. So, like, how does that work after the race? Oh yeah, yeah. You never like. I mean, the strategist—it's a thankless job. You, you, <laughs> it, it really is. It's like it's it's because it, it's a, I reference it to like being an airline pilot. You know, it's guys <laughs> people it, only it, hear yeah. about it. If it's <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's like, it's like uh, oh yeah, you did your job. You you got as a good strategy. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. It's like oh oh, like you crashed. You crashed the plane. No, <laughs> so it's it's gone wrong. Um, I, no, feel, I mean, I, I feel like the, the pit stop crew guys are like that as well. Like they, they're in a bit of a thankless position as well. Oh, massively. Mm. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was like, those guys, uh, yeah, it's because I did a lot of work with the the kind of pit stop stuff at both Mercedes and Haas, just trying to just go through them. And yeah, it's totally thankless for them. They're 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 criticised for doing a two point eight instead of a two point two, and it's, know, it's, it's ridiculous. Horrible, isn't it? What were you trying like, to do with them? Were you trying to bring the times down, or were you talking through strategies with them? Or, or... no, it's working purely on the pit stop stuff. So it's the whole kind of yeah. I mean, obviously pit stops play a big part in terms of strategy. We we obviously want the pit stops as quick as possible, but you've got to put that balance in, and then it's just training. So it's actually moves away from the the everyday strategy, but it's the kind of training them up, looking at your techniques, doing your video analysis, looking at your times, like in each breaking down each part of the in, in each part of the pit stop. So your wheel on, your wheel off, your your gun times, your connection times, front and rear jacks. So it's it's that other part of of strategy. I, I, I enjoyed it because I liked working directly with the crews and um and it's kind of like a sport well, it's a sports team within a sports team as such. So you you're trying to G them up and get them going. I mean and yeah, I like when you uh, Past last year when you're running around the bottom and you, you're trying to have something to fight for and uh, just give them something to aim for it's, it's sometimes it's just that little thing which you can do but yeah it's bit, bit stops are I mean the major and I mean they've come on so far in, in the last six years or so it's just do they like incredible. it do they like the fact that they can make or break a race or are they like oh, I wish we just had mandatory 20 second stops that would be good <laughs> I, I don't know I'm, I'm never it's I think some do, some don't. I mean, and because because it has to be your mechanics, because you're limited on your amount of personnel you can, it's not like... It's not that only NASCAR, job, yeah. It's not like NASCAR who literally have teams to do the pit stops, and that's it. It's, it's not their only job. So I think a lot of them kind of would probably prefer not to do it. Live without it. And, uh, and um, 
yeah, some do it reluctantly, some will do it and enjoy it and look to kind of get the most out of it and take pleasure on it. But it's again, it's very much a personality thing in that respect. I think it's uh, it's obviously not the main job. And mm. I think, yeah, it's um, some take the challenge, some don't. But unfortunately, it's uh, that's again, he's trying to manage that situation and put the best people in the best places and, and trying to encourage them and or incentivize them etc i like the idea of you sitting there at late at night before a grumpy going oh you know derek's derek's not been great on 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 bottom left you know we'll 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 have to put we'll have to put izzy on on rear left next time and we'll try that you know really like doing the there should be a computer game pit stop tire manager that'll be fine before i let you go because what time is it in in bahrain now it's getting towards evening time i think isn't it we're getting, towards, six, yeah. oh, getting towards the sherry zone there, Mike. So I'll, I'll just ask you one last thing. I'll, I'm going to put you in charge of the FIA rules, and we're going to concentrate on rules that involve strategy. So do you want to create m- rules that bring more strategy into it or rules that would take strategy out of the way and leave it to the, the engineers and the drivers? You know, wh- how, how much should Mike Caulfield's play a, 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 a difference in the result? Um. I, th- I mean, I think strategy definitely plays a part. I think it's part of F1, which is, I think, needed. I think it's something which, when you watch like Formula E and they don't have pit stops and they don't have the tyre stuff, all right, they have, them, they have the bit where they go through the, whatever it's called, driver boost or that. Electroshock zone, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. so to try and end. Like, but for me, it kind of, I don't know, it just takes something away from it. But I don't think. I think it needs the balance. And I actually think F1's got it quite good at the moment because it goes back to what we were talking about earlier and about that kind of visualization and trying to view the race as a viewer. And if you start getting like two, three stops, like as you're normal, you soon start becoming a bit lost of what what's actually going well, on. We so saw it, like, didn't we? We did have a period of that. Didn't we yeah, have well, like three or four stops? You, you sit there and like I, I get I used to get messages from my dad going, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> what's happening? Kind of like, yeah. Because you're like you don't know who'd stopped, you don't know if he's got another stop to make, and and it, it starts. Whereas in the recent years, I, I kind of think the one one v two stop kind of races uh, have been really exciting. There's yeah. like there's that potential. It's um you've got some overtaking on track, you've got that build up to the finale where someone's converted to a two stop and someone's remained on a one-stop mm. and it's that kind of, is he going to catch him? Is he going to overtake him? Is he going to hold him off? And, and I think that's what you need. And and you do have that variance. And obviously it very much depends on the tyres and um, and the track characteristics. But I think if you start pushing it too further away from that, it starts coming a bit too chaotic. And while strategy plays a bit part, I think it starts losing a bit of the uh, like actual kind of driver skill and the kind of, because... I know people complain, you know, I don't want to see drivers managing the tyres, but actually it's it can be actually a, a good thing. It's It can be, it adds that extra variable. Why shouldn't a driver be rewarded who can manage the tyres a little bit better than someone else? If they're all driving flat out for 60 laps of the race and it, well, actually for a start, if they're all driving flat out, you won't have seen much overtaking because they'll just be... Yep. Everyone kind of full blown can go into corners, can tap break in, don't leave any gaps. It's it's it, it'll be a bit chaotic, but I don't think it'll actually result in good racing. Whereas you've got someone trying to weak out a one stop and he's managing tyres, and he gets the end of the race and he's held off and he's won, he's rewarded for it. So it's both a reward of strategy and a reward of the driving because he's managed to 
to do something on it. So yeah, I, I think yeah. yeah, I do feel like if more the people who were complaining like about the France Grand Prix three years ago when nothing happened, if they had more of an insight into the strategy, and in fact, I think it might have been the Austin. Grand Prix this year, where on the surface there was people complaining it was boring, but it was actually quite a fascinating race. But you needed the information and like five yes. different screens to be able to follow it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the France one for about three years ago that was boring. And I'll tell yeah. you, like, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. yeah, I think um, extreme. Yeah, there yeah. was six overtakes in the whole race or something, and it was a one stop. So I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, but I think this year, kind of France pushed it, didn't it? Where, um, yeah, Verstappen. Verstappen two stops against um, Lewis's one stop and caught at the end and overtook. And it was, um, again, it's, it's that kind of, it was a bold move because going into the race, it's a very much a one stop and you, the tyres can do it quite easily. But he he did that kind of slight, slight adjustment way. I'll push the tyres that little bit more and have to make up this pit stop and come through a bit more traffic. And, and, and it, it adds that variance, but it doesn't add that too much variance where it becomes that chaotic kind of, cluster of what's going on I, I just don't know and then and, and even as a strategy she sat there going what's going on it's, it's, exactly it's, it's too much if, if, so, you'd, if, if even your dad who i'm assuming is a good armchair strategist normally can't follow it mike then maybe it's too much uh, go and follow mike though at mike caulfield um f1 so it's mike c-a-u-l-f-i-e-l-d f1 on twitter and i will harass you to come back again mike and help us become better monday morning strategists yeah, no, no, definitely, no. I'm happy, happy to to help out where I can. Yeah, no, um, yeah, and I think this weekend could be quite interesting. Oh well, maybe we'll try and get your hot take after after the first few races. Please follow Mist Apex at Mist Apex F1. We've got our Facebook page as well. We're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Spanners Ready, and you can be a patron at Patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. Join us at eight pm live for our Bahrain race review. Many thanks to Mike. Join us uh, to to get our hot impressions straight off the press and uh, maybe we'll have a, a live picture-in-picture. We'll have Mike in the corner either shaking his head or giving us a thumbs-up for our analysis, although I am I'm quite nervous now in the in context that we're going to be accused of being armchair strategists. Until we see you again, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Mistake Pex Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.